America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Another great week, in fact. A week begins with a bang uh, over on Wall Street where Elon Musk, you may have heard, I'm sure you've heard, that he was trying to buy Twitter. Well, he did it. Just happened. And uh, it's a lot of money, $46.5 billion. Now, compared to some of the money that's being poured into the survival of civilization by defeating the Russians in Ukraine, uh, no, it's, it's not. Maybe Elon Musk could contribute to some of that, too. He has comments on it. Uh, it is, uh, per, for perspective, the, uh, uh, the idea of $46.5 billion is a, a tiny a fraction of what the government spends, but it's a great deal of money nonetheless, and this will probably have a big impact in the whole direction of social media. The um, uh, all, all of this is uh, going to be digested, and we will digest it here. Remember, it, it looked for a while like it wasn't going to happen. Uh, they reported early this morning Twitter, Twitter is nearing a deal to sell itself to Elon Musk, two people with knowledge of the situation said a move that would unite, actually it has united, the world's richest man with the influential social networking service. An agreement could be announced as soon as today. I'm sure we'll also be hearing something about uh, a reaction from Donald J. Trump. Will he return to Twitter or will he continue to press forward with his truth social, uh, his alternative social media platform. Uh, okay, we, we have to do it. The, the tweet of the day. It's already out. Turn the page now to the Internet. I mean, wow, what a great, smart tweet. Change his password so he no longer has access to his Twitter feed. Did you send the tweet? I did not send that tweet. My system was hacked. I was pranked. Donald Trump hasn't tweeted at us once, and I'm starting to get worried about him. So we have a new tweet. All right. Can I do the honors? Stand by. Tweet alert. Okay, the tweet alert is from Elon Musk, of course, uh, the man of the hour. He says very simply, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. We will see about that. Speaking of free speech, there was a great exercise of it when uh, the late Orrin Hatch spoke on the Senate floor before retiring. He served longer in the U.S. Senate than any other Republican in history. 42 years. It's a long time. He's an extraordinarily good guy. And uh, we will give you um, just a little taste of some of his final comments as a member of the U.S. Senate, a body which he uh, very much distinguished by his presence and enriched by his presence. We'll also talk about the latest in uh, Ukraine, of course, because there was a dramatic top-secret cloak-and-dagger visit by the two top uh, cabinet members, in the United States government, uh, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, General Lloyd Austin, they both made it into Kiev, met with President Zelensky, announced the reopening of the U.S. Embassy 
and a bunch of other nations have also reopened the embassy. Does this mean that Kyiv is getting back to normal? And what about the ongoing uh, talk of a ceasefire, or at least a very temporary ceasefire, so civilians can escape regarding Mariupol, which is a, the city that sustained the greatest, most devastating damage in all of Ukraine. Uh, we will get onto that issue. It uh, varies from hour to hour. And uh, then a heroic football coach, not because of the games he's won, but because of the gains he's won for the idea of religious liberty. His name is Joe Kennedy. We've talked about him before. From Bremerton, Washington, he is making his case, his lawyers are, including the Alliance Defending Freedom, before the Supreme Court of the United States today. And it seems like a, a case where a great many of the American people, in addition to the justices of the Supreme Court, particularly the new justices appointed by President Trump, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, and uh, Justice Gorsuch and Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett, that those justices will be sympathetic to Joe Kennedy's desire to uh, fall down on his knees on the uh, 50-yard line after a game and to thank the Lord for the opportunity of coaching. Should that be prohibited by the school board or not? How does that reflect the constitutional right to a free exercise of religion. We will get to that issue as well. Uh, meanwhile, the press conference for uh, Anthony Blinken uh, was revealing after he met with President Zelensky, but the reports are after two months of war, Ukraine's capital is treading carefully toward a new normal. Kiev was Vladimir Putin's prized target when he ordered a full-scale invasion of Ukraine back on February 24th in what he termed not an invasion. Remember, you could go to jail, and there are people who have gone to jail in Russia for calling it an invasion. No, you're supposed to call it a special uh, military operation. Uh, although local officials say that life in the Ukrainian capital is slowly becoming more normal, with businesses open and residents returning, the threat of aircraft and missile strikes persists, and Kiev has been placed under a curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. local time. Uh, the United States, it was also announced, would also provide $713 million in foreign military financing to Ukraine and more than a dozen other nations to purchase new weapons, replenishing arms that were provided to Ukrainian forces. That was the statement by General Austin, the Secretary of Defense of the United States. And uh, uh, all of this is, uh, comes down to Blinken's declaration about what's happening when he was right there meeting with Zelensky in Kyiv. This is Secretary of State Antony Blinken 1A. Ukrainians are standing up, they're standing strong, and they're doing that with the support that we have coordinated uh, from our, literally around the world. Um, the strategy that we've uh, put in place, massive support for Ukraine, massive pressure against Russia, uh, solidarity uh, with more than 30 countries uh, engaged in these efforts, is having real results. And we're seeing that when it comes to Russia's war aims, 
Russia is failing, Ukraine is succeeding. Russia has sought as its principal aim to totally subjugate Ukraine, to take away its sovereignty, to take away its independence. That has failed. Okay, and part of uh, where that has failed is you may remember that uh, Putin had made the absurd claim at the beginning of the, quote, special military operation that the goal of the military operation was to decapitate the government in Ukraine, that government, of course, more prestigious and more strong and more popular in Ukraine than ever before. Also, the denazification of the government of Ukraine. Uh, and again, nothing has uh, more powerfully united the forces that are pro-democracy around the world than the struggle for Ukraine to defend itself. So the uh, idea that uh, this was his success, he, he now seems to be pulling back to say that, well, it's actually not extinguishing Ukraine as an independent nation. It's basically just gobbling up a third of it by claiming the uh, territory of the so-called independence uh, republics now of uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. Uh, what happens next? And uh, what does this mean for the world of world politics? And why did uh, Zelensky just get a powerful boost from France? That and more coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved show, uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, meeting with President Zelensky in Kiev. The uh, announcement today uh, that uh, Mariupol, Russia's defense minister today, announced a ceasefire around that Azovstal steel plant. It's actually a whole industrial district, it's not just one plant. It's in Mariupol, which is that devastated city, uh, the most devastated of all Ukrainian cities and sites. And with, um, they don't know, but uh, there are estimates as high as 20,000 civilian deaths. That uh, they're going to allow a civilian evacuation from the industrial area that has been sheltering the remaining Ukrainian resistance in the port city. Apparently about 2,000 Ukrainian troops hanging tough in that steel plant in that industrial area. Uh, Russian troops will unilaterally stop any hostilities, withdraw units to a safe distance, and ensure the withdrawal of civilians, the defense ministry said in a statement. I'm sure you can trust that. Uh, not. It said the civilians will be taken in any direction they have chosen. Now, some of those civilians have been kidnapped, basically, have been, had not have chosen but have been forced, particularly some of the younger members, to be relocated into Russia. And uh, it added the statement from the Defense Ministry of Russia that uh, the Ukrainian side should show readiness to start the humanitarian evacuations by raising white flags at Azovstal, which, of course, would indicate their surrender. And they apparently are not ready to surrender. 
According to the ministry, this information will be communicated to those inside Azovstal via radio channels every 30 minutes. Russia last week said it had gained full control of the strategic eastern Ukrainian city, except for the huge Azovstal industrial area. Uh, President Vladimir Putin ordered a blockade of the steelworks, uh, together saying that they should not allow even a fly to escape from the steelworks. It would be interesting to see the, <laughs> the Russian troops going after any insects that are trying to escape from the steelworks. Hundreds of civilians are still reportedly sheltering with Ukrainian troops. Uh, this is um, the optimistic statement by our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, after having visited in Kiev with Zelensky, clip 1B. The bottom line uh, is this. Uh, we don't know how the rest of this war will unfold, but we do know that a sovereign, independent Ukraine will be around a lot longer than Vladimir Putin's on the scene. And our support for Ukraine going forward uh, will continue. It will continue until we see final success. We will have American diplomats back in Ukraine starting next week. They'll then start the process of um, looking at how we actually reopen the embassy itself in Kyiv. I think that will take place over a couple of weeks would be my expectation. Uh, we're doing it deliberately. Uh, we're doing it carefully. We're doing it with the security of our personnel foremost in mind. But we're doing it. <laughs> that uh, Secretary of State Blinken, who made that uh, cloak and dagger trip with uh, Secretary Austin into uh, Kyiv to meet with uh, Zelensky. The um, continued uh, struggle that goes on was aided considerably by the election results in France because there's no question that as uh, they had a very uh, dramatic person-to-person -person debate between the two candidates who would survive the primary election in France that would be President Macron, Emmanuel Macron, and his contender, his challenger, uh, who was Marine Le Pen. And they had been the same two candidates who had run against each other five years ago. Five years ago, uh, Macron won by a crushing margin of more than 30 points. This time he won by a margin of 16 points. It's still huge. It's a Actually, it's more. It's 18 points. It was 59% of the vote went to Macron and 41% to Le Pen. And one of the things that Macron said in their person-to-person, face-to-face debate, which was the only one of the final campaign with just the two of them, was uh, he said, you should admit it, you are a total dependent on Russia because Russia has actually supported her party, has kept it alive, has sent all kinds of money uh, in, in that uh, direct piece. This is, um, uh, was a very, very important choice. And the fact is that some, some of what's fascinating about this is the polling had showed that it would be much closer, not a 19-point margin. I mean, if you think about what a devastating kind of landslide that is. That's a landslide that is capable, uh, com comparable to the landslide of Ronald Reagan over Jimmy Carter. 
or frankly, it's even comparable to the landslide of Ronald Reagan over Walter Mondale. And of course, you can't compare because they don't have an electoral college in France. It's just all the popular vote. But the popular vote here is enormous, and it's amazing. And it is a, a vote against Putinism. Uh, there was also another country where there was a vote over the weekend that also went against Putinism and uh, actually went against a, an incumbent in Slovenia, which is raises all kinds of questions. Right now, they've, they've just announced, and there are questions about it, that um, the CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, which is generally every year the leading gathering place for conservatives all across the spectrum uh, who see themselves as supporters of uh, traditional conservative ideals, they have a series of meetings. There's one huge meeting. I believe the one this year is scheduled for Texas. But they're doing a major meeting in Budapest, in Hungary, where Viktor Orban uh, has a lot of uh, critics, and I think very appropriately so, as someone who is not truly in favor of democracy as we understand it, who has uh, almost single-handed control of the press, who has established an authoritarian rule in Hungary. And yes, they're members of NATO, but uh, the idea that there were people out there who felt that uh, uh, Marine Le Pen, who spoke, actually it was her niece who spoke at CPAC in 2018, her party uh, which uh, has roots in the very extreme right, anti-Semitic, a Nazi-sympathizing, Holocaust-denying right, that uh, people actually hoped that she would win in France. If, uh, if that is a, an idea that you have in mind, you can give us a call, because I would love to hear an explanation. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 and more about the surprising news from little but courageous and uh, very much pro-freedom Slovenia. That and more coming up on the Medved Show. Michael Medved show. Uh, there is a great deal uh, going on. Uh, not all of it great, unfortunately, but uh, there are indications about people in the culture war here in the United States uh, becoming totally unhinged and doing terrible damage to themselves and threatening terrible damage to others. Uh, we will be talking about that. Uh, we're also going to be speaking to a uh, a guest uh, who believes that the one thing that the United States could do that could be most important to ending this war and to making it clear that uh, Ukraine is not going to be conquered by Russia is admitting them immediately to NATO and, uh, and not... Uh, 
persisting with any kind of waffling regarding that potential decision. Now, you may remember that one of the main demands that Putin has made for putting an end to the war was that uh, Ukraine would give up any chance ever of becoming a member of NATO because with that membership, you have a pledge on the part of the uh, other NATO nations, 30 other nations, that they rush to your defense in case you were invaded. And there is a sense that had uh, that admission to NATO taken place before the special military action that Putin ordered, that he never would have done it because to do that would have been asking for a total war in Europe and potentially even a nuclear war. And even in terms of a nuclear war, I mean, this is so unbelievably complicated. And yes, it's nightmarish. But one of the reasons that the election in France was so important, uh, France is the only member of the European Union that is a nuclear power. The only one. Uh, Germany is not. Britain is a nuclear power, but it's not a member of the European Union anymore. They had Brexit. They left. And uh, with all of this uh, going on, one of the things that I found very frustrating over the weekend is following the French election, because I do believe it was profoundly important, very, very important for the United States, uh, very important for, uh, for Ukraine, was the, the idea that people said, well, uh, Marine Le Pen didn't do that badly. She actually did very well because this is the first time a far-right party has gotten over 40% of the vote. She lost by 18 points. And the idea that she got 40% of the vote when she was the only alternative that people had to Macron is not so tremendously impressive. It doesn't represent a breakthrough. She says this constitutes a victory. Look, only a crazy radical could actually believe and try to argue that losing by 18 points, and much more than the polls indicated, and one of the reasons that is the case is they have a law in France. It's the kind of law that there are some people who would favor in the United States. But uh, they have a law in France that says that uh, when people are in the last week before an election, then uh, you're not allowed to do any polling because they don't want the polling, last-minute polls to have an impact. But what that means is the last-minute surge that apparently took place on behalf of Macron didn't show up in the polling. Uh, and uh, it, there are a number of people who still believe that the fact that someone like Le Pen, who is pro-Putin and uh, very militantly anti-immigrant and has some fairly radical prescriptions on uh, her desk, and by the way, who's very much associated as a great admirer and uh, champion of President Trump, uh, the fact that she would uh, do as well as she did, well, uh, particularly with young people, this led to uh, an interesting comment by Christiane Amanpour, uh, who had this to say in a conversation with uh, journalist Megan Clement about the surprising direction of the youth vote in the French elections, clip 12. What about, again, young people and, and bringing them in? I, I guess everybody's just 
really almost can't believe the fact that, that nearly 60%, 55% or so percent, voted for the extremes, including young people, plus the abstention rate. And we'll have to see how that breaks down and who, who was it staying at home or spoiling mm. their ballots. How does one bring the young people on side who feel, as, as, as we just heard from a previous uh, guest, that there's a little bit of a democracy fatigue, that nothing seems to work for them, at least that's what they think? Yeah, I think young people in this country have seen that not much has changed for a long time. Uh, I think one thing that Macron could do to reach out is to pursue a very serious environmental program. Mm -hmm. We see consistently that climate change is one of the most important issues to young yeah. people. So I think that's going to be indispensable. Uh, but I do think young people in this country are quite jaded uh, after watching two elections in, the ro in a row where you have the centre-right versus the far-right uh, and not much, not much choice. Okay, uh, basically what they're trying to claim is that young people are overwhelmingly supporting the left and the far left. The Mélenchon, who was the candidate of the far left, got 22% of the vote in the prior election. And again, the idea that what is leaving young people basically uh, disillusioned with the whole political process is that nobody is radical enough on climate change. Really? Is that true here? Is that going to uh, handicap uh, Joe Biden from votes that he would otherwise get? Or do you believe American polls, which I do, that show that the number of people who consider climate change to be a number one issue, a dominant issue, is very small? Okay, and more election news, and this is fascinating to me because it's something most Americans don't know about or think about, but it's an indication about why Sometimes debates that we have in this country really are international in their scope. The report from the New York Times, Europe's once surging movement of nationalist populace suffered a significant setback in Slovenia on Sunday, that's yesterday, in the formerly communist East on the same day French voters rejected the far-right candidate uh, Marine Le Pen in uh, their presidential election. In parliamentary elections in Slovenia, a noteworthy test for the appeal of right-wing populism, uh, preliminary results indicated that the Prime Minister, Janez Janza, an ardent admirer of former President Donald J. Trump, lost to centrist rivals. Liberal democracy has come under particularly intense pressure in the region over the past decade, with 95% of the vote counted in an election that the opposition called a referendum on democracy. Results indicated that Mr. Janza, he's the incumbent prime minister, Slovenian Democratic Party, trumpeting, uh, competing against 19 other parties, won around 24% of the vote. That's far behind the 34% of the main rival, the centrist freedom movement. Uh, Mr. Janza is highly unlikely to keep his job as prime minister. Under Mr. Janza, who became prime minister for a third time in 2020, Slovenia followed a path set by Europe's populist standard bearer, Prime Minister Viktor Orban of Hungary, who helped found right-wing uh, media outlets in Slovenia to support his ally. Uh, Mr. Orban viewed the uh, polarized Alpine nation, that's Slovenia, as a testing ground for his ambition to remake Europe and Hungary's illiberal image. Mr. Orban won election to a fourth term in early April, a victory that the Hungarian reader uh, insisted was evidence that Christian democratic policies 
conservative civic politics and patriotic politics are not just the past, but they are Europeans' future. Not in France, apparently, and not in Slovenia. What about in the United States? We'll get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved Show, 1-800-955-1776, our number for your comments or contentions, if you choose, 1-800-955-1776. There's not only struggle and polarization and bitterness going on, obviously, in European countries, as we were talking about going on with the war in Ukraine, but here in the United States, it's, it's one of those stories that's just shocking and it's horrible and there's no possible way to put a good light on it and that by the way is not meant as any kind of sick pun the uh, headline in the New York Times and it's a small headline hardly got any attention but it deserves more because it's an indication of the level of sickness and the intensity of sickness in in the United States right now over political polarization and hysteria. A headline, activist dies after lighting himself on fire in the capital. Uh, that capital's not Kiev, it's uh, not Moscow, it's Washington, D.C. Headline uh, in the story by Chris Cameron, a Colorado man who set himself on fire in front of the Supreme Court on Friday in an apparent Earth Day protest against climate change has died, police said. You think there are better ways to uh, observe Earth Day, do you, <laughs> than lighting yourself on fire and burning yourself to death? What I think about partially with that is imagine the first responders who have to come in, try to rescue a guy who has been almost completely consumed by flames that he set himself. The uh, Metropolitan Police Department, Washington, D.C., said that uh, Wynn Bruce, who's aged 50, of Boulder, Colorado, had died on Saturday uh, from his injuries after being airlifted to a hospital following the incident. Members of his family could not be reached immediately for comment. Uh, Kriti Kankin, a climate scientist at the Environmental Defense Fund and a Zen Buddhist priest in Boulder, said that she is a friend of Mr. Bruce and that the self-immolation was a planned act of protest. This act is not suicide. What, what do you mean it's not suicide? Of course it's suicide. This act is not suicide, Dr. Uh, Kriti uh, wrote on Twitter early Sunday morning. This is a deeply fearless act of compassion to bring attention to climate crisis. Okay, if you're encouraging people to light themselves on fire. Is that a dubious thing to run on Twitter? When she says, this is not suicide, this is a deeply fearless act of compassion. She later 
added in an interview that she was not completely certain of his intentions, but that, quote, people are being driven to extreme amounts of climate grief and despair. And that, quote, what I do not want to happen is that young people start thinking about self-immolation. Okay, really? Uh, isn't this an indication of a, a deep insanity that seems to be spreading among people on, on the left? Really? The uh, Supreme Court had heard arguments in late February on an important environmental case that could restrict or even eliminate the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to control pollution. The court's conservative majority had uh, voiced skepticism of the agency's authority to regulate carbon emissions, suggesting that a decision by the justices could deal a sharp blow to the Biden administration's efforts to address climate change. Then, by the way, if... If that's so serious, you don't have to light yourself on fire and burn yourself up. It can be fixed by the Congress of the United States. In other words, what they're saying is that Congress had never granted the Environmental Protection Agency that broad mandate, but it could if they want to. But now they're going to do it in honor of this uh, 50-year-old guy, Mr. Bruce, who burned himself to death. Uh, Mr. Bruce, who identified as Buddhist, set himself on fire in an apparent imitation of Vietnamese monks who turned themselves, burned themselves to death in protest during the Vietnam War. It was very early in the war before Kennedy decided, influenced by the monks who were burning themselves to death, to unseat the Diem regime which probably had a better chance of actually sustaining South Vietnam and defending South Vietnam than the regimes that followed, but leave that aside. Um, a, a Facebook account that uh, Dr. Critty identified as Mr. Bruce's had uh, commemorated the death of Thich Nhat Han, an influential Zen Buddhist master, an anti-war activist who died in January. The uh, press spoke then of suicide, but in the essence, it is not that. It is not even a protest, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote of the monks, adding that, quote, to burn oneself by fire is to prove that what one is saying is of the utmost importance. There is nothing more painful in burning than burning oneself. To say something while experiencing this kind of pain is to say it with the utmost courage, frankness, and determination and sincerity. Does it work that way? Does it help persuade people, does it? Uh, David Buckle, a prominent civil rights lawyer turned environmental advocate, also set himself on fire in Brooklyn's Prospect Park in 2018 to protest climate change and died. In a letter beforehand, Mr. Buckle added uh, to the spiritual roots of self-immolation in protests, in, including in Tibet. Mr. Bruce had on his own Facebook page nearly three weeks before his act uh, recently edited a 2021 comment under his post in 2020 warning of irreversible climate change to include the date of his planned self-immolation with a fire emoji. Really? A fire emoji? 
the apparent announcement of his plans was uh, buried in his account uh, timeline. Other posts from Mr. Bruce's Facebook account going back to April 2020 criticized war profiteers Donald Trump and collective inaction in the face of a worsening climate crisis. He also praised the young climate activist Greta Thunberg. Quoted Dr. King, and as recently as March, spoke of the compassion of Ukrainian refugees. Okay, look, I'm glad this guy is concerned, but this notion that somehow you uh, make a particularly strong statement, one that has to be taken seriously by burning yourself. And then there's this, uh, gender definitions and gender threats. A uh, California man was arrested on charges that he sent messages to Merriam-Webster in which he threatened to shoot and bomb its offices because he didn't like the company's dictionary definitions relating to gender identity. The uh, man, whose name was Jeremy David Hansen of Rosemore, California, was arrested in California last week. He threatened to kill every employee in the Massachusetts-based company, Merriam Wesser. He was charged with one count of interstate communication of threats to commit violence and released on condition in California, the statement said. He uh, is set to appear in the U.S. District Court in Massachusetts on April 29th, coming right up. From October 2nd to October 8th, 2021, Mr. Hansen, who is 34, sent uh, anonymous comments and messages to Merriam-Webster, which publishes its widely used online dictionary, condemning the company for changing the definitions of words, including boy, girl, and trans woman, according to an affidavit by the FBI. There is no such thing as gender identity, wrote the perp in a uh, comment about the definition of female. The, quote, the imbecile who wrote this entry should be hunted down and shot. One of Marion Drepster's definitions of female is, quote, having a gender identity that is the opposite of male. Mr. Hansen escalated his threats from there, sending messages saying that the company's headquarters should be shot up and bombed. The statement said he wrote that, Changing certain gender-based definitions, the company was taking part in efforts to degrade the English language and to deny reality. Look, I think some of the new gender-conscious stuff is ridiculous, but apparently there are 20, 30 different specific charges uh, and threats of murder and mass destruction. And uh, the idea that our cultural disagreements will lead to self-immolation and threats of murder. This is not an encouraging moment, not an encouraging trend in this greatest nation on God's green earth.